Well, if you would turn in your Libiblias to Genesis chapter 25. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimram, Jotshan, Midian, and or Madon and Midian, Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letshim, and Lumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephra, Ephra, Hanok, Abida, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. So kids and grandkids. And so we saw last week in chapter 24 where the Lord arranged a bride for Isaac. Now, his mother had died before that at the age of 127. That would make Isaac 37, and that would make Abraham 137. We're going to discover in this chapter that chapter 24 happened when Isaac was 40. So sometime after Sarah, when Abraham was about 140 or less, he remarried. Now, we, we saw last week that Isaac was living separately from Abraham. Um, he was uh, living in, um, down by the Beersheba area. We're going to see that tonight. But um, so Abraham... You know, even though he was 140, he'd be living to 175. So um, he had plenty of time to have the company of Keturah and others, it appears. He had some concubines beyond that. But um, this is what we know. And so six children from Keturah, one from Hagar, one from Sarah, Father Abraham had eight sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And God did prophesy in, back in Genesis 17, you might remember there, the covenant he made again. Uh, and in that, he ends it in verse 6 of Genesis 17 by saying, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations, plural, not just the nation of Israel. And the kings, plural, shall come from you. And this was what we're going to see. Oops. We're going to see that with Ishmael. And then we're going to also see that with Keturah's sons uh, as well. They end up becoming nations of people. Um, and again, in reality... In Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Romans 4.16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be to sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, physically, literally, uh, Jews, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Father Abraham, many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Um, 
And so he, he was a very, very blessed man. Now, interesting, as we move on down to verse 6, it actually mentions the concubines and all of their sons. He sent them away. And I believe that's referring to Keturah. Because in 1 Chronicles one thirty-two, it doesn't call Keturah Abraham's wife. It calls her Abraham's concubine. Studying up on this, there are many who believe that she probably was a concubine, and after Sarah died, he made her his wife. But it appears that he might have had others because in verse 6, it says concubines, plural. Um, <clears throat> but of course, he, he could have been referring to Hagar and Keturah, just those two, because he did send Ishmael east already, and uh, he's going to be sending the rest of the kids that way. And so we added up here, this chapter, we have eight sons of Abraham. He has 17 grandkids and even three grandkids, great, three great-grandkids mentioned here in this chapter. And so um, it goes on to tell us in verse 5 that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. This was the custom of this times, the protogenitor. I don't know if you heard in the news in the last couple of years, but England is set up on the protogenitor. And if you are a lord, your oldest child gets everything, and the second kid gets nothing, and the third kid, and fourth kid, and fifth kid. Um, and uh, they're trying to change that up, so at least maybe the older daughter could get in line, because it seems rather uh, barbaric, I guess, to the the people that it would be so um, like that in these days. They're trying to change it, but they're not having too much luck. And so Isaac got everything. But why Abraham still had his faculties before he died, he wanted to make it clear that this was the last will and testament. Isaac gets it all. And to the other kids, Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and so forth. Um, he did not want them around, Isaac. Boy, there's some insight there, huh? Now, God didn't tell him to do it like he did with Ishmael. Remember with Ishmael, oh, Lord, please let Ishmael live before you. Let him be the chosen one. And God says, no, but through Sarah, you will have a son. But I think Abraham has matured a lot in his lifetime. I guess if you walk with the Lord for 100 years, um, you can get pretty mature. Remember, he was 75 back in chapter 12 when he finally entered the promised land. And a nice round number. Now he's 175 when he passes away. And so after 100 years, he knows, hey, nope, can't do it. You can't have the other children who are not of the promise around the son of the promise. They need to be a separate peoples. In verse 7, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a good old age. Boy, I'd say so. 
and an old man full, now notice in italics, of years and was gathered to his people. So literally, it does not have the word of years. That was added thinking that's what they were referring to. But I don't think so. I think that shouldn't be there. I think it should say this. Abraham died of an old age. That mentions age. A man, an old man, full. This word full, it's, it's a very strong Hebrew word that means satisfied, satiated. I love that. He died full. And of course, you don't have to live very long if you've completed the race that God has for you. But boy, I'll tell you, it's a great feeling at night when you go to bed, laying your head upon the pillow going, yes, today was a fruitful day. I said what I needed to say. I did what I needed to do. I smiled at everyone I needed to smile. I didn't flip anybody off on the freeway. You know, I had a really successful day. I'm only kidding. You guys are all looking at me like, no. Um, no, it, it's, it's a great thing, but how more so when you're heading to death and you're at total peace and rest, going, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, now a crown awaits. He died satiated. And here's the first time we see this phrase, and he was gathered together with his people. We're going to see this phrase again in just a minute, talking about Ishmael, which is rather interesting. We're going to see it about Isaac. We're going to see that about Jacob. And then the last person it says in the Bible that about is Aaron. But it's the understanding, not that he was gathered together in the same graveyard. No, it's talking about spiritually getting together with the souls of those who have already died in the Lord. Abraham went to sit next to Father Adam and Enoch and Methuselah and Noah. He was gathered together with his people. Love that phrase. I, I think I want that on my tombstone, honey. Just to, he's gathered together with his people. Um, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. Wow. You know, this could have been deeply offensive if they didn't seek Ishmael out. And only Isaac was there. But the fact that he sought Ishmael out and brought him together, what a healing thing that is. Now, according to the Quran, Ishmael went to Saudi Arabia, and he was one of the great-grandparents of Muhammad. And he was a prophet of God, one of the main prophets of God that brought the Muslim religion to the Arab world. And they buried him just really near um, Mecca at a place called Baha. It's a wall. And... Um, Anyway, I find that interesting because I don't believe that's the case at all. I believe it's just a made-up lie. 
And they have other lies that Abraham and Ishmael went and they built a temple and, and uh, it, it, it's, it's not true. Ishmael here in a minute, I believe, was a believer. Remember, he was circumcised when the same day Abraham was circumcised. And when it says gather together with his people, I think that's a, a sign to you and I that he's with the Lord. He's with Father Abraham. Um, but anyway, um, they were together on this. And I, I just find that healing. I find it wholesome. I find it really sweet that the two boys are together as friends. And they're burying dad. They have that respect and honor together. They put him in the cave of Machpelah. We remember that. Abraham bought that for his wife, Sarah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zeor, Zoar, the Hittite. The field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, therefore Abraham was buried in Sarah, his wife. Now in verse 11, it came to pass after the death of Abraham, notice here, that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahiroi. That's where Isaac had moved to. And that's, remember, in chapter 24, uh, where the, the servant brought Rebekah and she saw Isaac there. And Isaac took her and uh, he was comforted after the death of his mother. In verse 12 now, so we see the blessings coming upon Isaac after Abraham. So it seems like that mantle that was on Abraham has now been passed on to Isaac. And we're going to see God speaking in a minute to Isaac the same blessings that he put upon Abraham. But in verse 12, now this is the genealogy of Ishmael. Now again, the fact that this is in the Bible is showing that Ishmael and the other sons of Abraham were not to be discounted. God doesn't like them. God doesn't care about them. They're insignificant. Who cares? No, God is saying Ishmael is, is also a part of the family of God. Is he a part of the lineage in which the Messiah would come? No. And we're going to see tonight, as we go to Romans 9 for a minute, this whole concept of the election of God hates everybody, damns everybody, unless you're one of the chosen that God chose you before time. No, and, and so often people do that. God loved Ishmael, and what did, what did God say to Abraham? I'm also going to bless him. And he's going to become a great people. Remember what he told Hagar in the same way. That, hey, he's going to be a prince and he's going to be also a king of many peoples. And, and so the fact that he's mentioned here is to let us know he's a Gentile. Everybody's a Gentile. But nevertheless, just because he is not a part of the lineage of the Messiah doesn't mean that he is worthless in the eyes of God. No, not at all. And so it tells us, first of all, he was Abraham's son. He wasn't the son of the concubine. He wasn't a son of the adulteress, Hagar. He wasn't a son of that evil Egyptian woman, Hagar. No, there's total respect, total honor 
He also, equally so, was Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael. So God wants us to know, the Bible wants to know, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, hey, take a note that many peoples and nations and kings came from him as well. And it's a beautiful thing that, that according to their generations, the firstborn was Ishmael, Nebojoth, then Kedar, Adbil, Midsam, Mish, Mishma, Druma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedamah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were the names by the towns and their settlements, twelve princesses. Princess. Am I saying that right? Princes, there is. Twelve princes according to their nations. So the children of Israel would eventually have 12 nations, but so did Ishmael first. Remember back in Genesis 16, 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, that is Hagar, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. And that's exactly what we see and of course, being, having the occupation of Saudi Arabia in these days is a really great thing. <laughs> they were just a Arab sand people for hundreds, thousands of years, but when they found oil, uh, they're one of the wealthiest nations in the world now. But they need Jesus. And in verse 17, these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. Wow. And he breathed his last and died. And there it is. He was gathered with his people. And again, I, I believe that is significant. I think that is stating the fact that he's a child of God and he's with God and, and the people of God. And in verse 18, they dwelt from Havla as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you Go towards Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac, be, uh, Abraham begot Isaac. And uh, so now, secondly, the second son of Abraham is now being mentioned, which is interesting. So out of the chapter 22 a little bit mentioned about Isaac and being sacrificed. And last chapter, a little bit about Isaac uh, was mentioned um, about finding his bride. And we're going to see a little bit in this chapter and the next. And that's it. Well, it's interesting that Isaac really is never a significant figure in the book of Genesis. He's typically called the son of Abraham, or the father <laughs> of Jacob. But rather, rarely do you hear him just being called Isaac. And it's interesting that, you know, Abraham was great, obviously, but Jacob, the nation of Israel, is after the name God gave him. It's not called the nation of Isaac or even, the, you know, of Abraham, but it's the nation of Israel, which is interesting. Um, but Isaac here, 
This is about it, so pay attention. Um, this is the genealogy. When he was 40 years of old is when he took Rebekah as wife. And the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, that may confuse you a little bit there, the translation of Syrian. You're going, hold it, that's Syria. I thought they were from Mesopotamia, from Iraq. And Syria is not, no, I know, okay? The word Syrian here in the Hebrew, it literally means exalted one. And it doesn't really come out as Syrian at all. It comes out um, as Aramean, A-R-A-M-E-A-N, if you look it up. And, and so most translations, as a matter of fact, outside the King James, the New King James Bible, it, it's, it says that, that um, they were uh, from the descendants of uh, Aramean, Aramean. Um, it doesn't say Syrian. So I, I really, even though it could be translated that, you'll see in the Hebrew, it, it's really not a good translation. It's talking about the exalted ones of Padan Aram. And I, I believe it's some kind of title. So they had a title of being the mayor or the ruler of the city. Because remember, it was from the city of Nahor, and he goes there to that city uh, in Mesopotamia, which is Iraq today, not Syria. So that can get a little confusing, but it even says Padan Aram. And so um, she's the sister of Laban, which is sort of important for later on. And in verse 21, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Sound familiar? <laughs> and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So th this is special, you know what I mean? We're going to find out in just a second that it was 20 years since they had been married. 20 years to have this amazingly beautiful wife and no kids, which is just a shame in this culture. It's horrible that way, but it was. But he goes before the Lord and says, God, <laughs> you said that I'd have descendants just like Abraham did, and, and I don't. But here it is. I think, and you're going to see next week in chapter 26, but I think this is the beginning of the test of Isaac. The same test that Abraham had. Next week, we're going to see two of them. Soon as Isaac finally settles down, a famine comes into the land exactly like the one during Abraham's time. <laughs> and it looked like he was fixing to go to Egypt, and God said, no, don't go to Egypt. Anyway, we're going to see that next week. I don't want to get ahead. But I think this is the first of the tests. It's very possible Rebecca had suggested, or maybe it was out ready to suggest, hey, how about my maid? <laughs> Have a child through her. But instead of Isaac doing this, it appears that he passed the first test, that he did not look to the arm of the flesh. He did not try to do, work things out in his own energies, his own strength. He sought the Lord. And it says there, he pleaded with God. And God heard his prayer. And so it was really a miracle child. It's really cool. It's cool when you know the Lord is in the midst of this. The Lord is working in this. The Lord has a plan in this. And he's granted this as a gift. 
Children indeed are a gift of the Lord. But the children, right away, it tells us they're going to have twins. They struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Again, I love this. Because Rebecca also is a seeker of the God of Abraham and now the God of Isaac. And so, again, I, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask these stories. Well, when did you quit being an idol-worshiping pagan from Mesopotamia and, and start following the God of your husband Isaac? But in those 20 years, she had a relationship with the Lord also. And now she's inquiring of the Lord after the baby. So, again, you go, oh, I'm pregnant. Everything's perfect. Oh, everything's not so perfect. Oh, my goodness, what's going on here? Well, I'm worried. I'm concerned. I, you, know, you know what, Rebecca? Just seek the Lord. Call upon the Lord. You know, when you weren't pregnant for 20 years, I sought the Lord. And I'm telling you, God answered the prayer and you're pregnant. He's got it. But you know what? When things are not going well, after the Lord blesses us and opens that door and, and gets us down that road, it doesn't mean the trial's over. It's just another trial. So now it's you in your prayer life and your faith. Mine got you, you're pregnant, but now your faith and your life of prayer is going to have to get you through this pregnancy. And, and I love it. I, I think probably Isaac prayed and, and didn't, the Lord didn't answer Isaac. And, and so then uh, Rebecca began to say, well, then I'm going to go to the Lord on this. And she did. And get, look what happened. The Lord said to her. You know what's interesting? <laughs> the first time the Lord ever spoke to Isaac is in chapter 26. But the first time he spoke to his wife was before him right here. I love that, that she got to hear from the Lord before Isaac ever did. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, this must have been quite a mystery. This must have been a real head-scratcher. It's one of those things where you just sort of tuck it away in your heart and, and uh, try to just wait and see what all the Lord means by that, we're going to see Isaac rejects this completely. Later on, we're going to see he's going to give that blessing to Esau. No matter what, the Lord spoke to Rebekah. He just rejects it. But nevertheless, this was indeed a word of prophecy that the protogenitor thing, once again, is not going to be honored by God. It wasn't honored with Ishmael. And now it's not being honored once again. And after this, with Jacob, Reuben is not going to be the one either. Joseph is going to be the protogenitor, the second to the last kid uh, born of, of Jacob. And of course, we keep going on and seeing this, don't we? It's sort of a constant thing through the Bible. Remember when Samuel went down to Bethlehem because the Lord said, there's the, there's the new king. And his dad did not want David, did he? I do not think David and his dad had a good relationship because he goes through all the brothers and there's like, there's no other son? No, not real well. There's a little guy out there, you know. Yeah, well, get him. He's the guy. And God told Samuel, don't look on the outward man. 
Because God doesn't. He looks upon the heart. David in heart was the next king. Outwardly, no. He was not the next Saul. He wasn't the big, tall, good-looking, obvious guy whatsoever. But he was God's choice. In the same way here, we're going to see that Esau is really the honorable guy. He's really the great, good-looking, strong, warrior, leader type. Jacob, he is a shyster. But God saw Jacob's heart and knew what it would be, not just as right after birth, but eventually when the Lord would wrestle with him and change his name to Israel. Now, why is this an important point? I just want to make a note that I sent all of you an attachment. It's seven pages of notes. And with it, I have a guy on YouTube. There's a click, there's the link, named Dr. Flowers. And he has a teaching on Romans 9, 9 through 13, D slash Calvinized. And I, through his teachings and through others, I, I've come to say this because this is sort of a, a Calvinistic passage that confuses so many Christians because they got your, their Calvinistic glasses on and, and just sort of mess a lot of people up. But in Romans 9, verse 10 through 13, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. Now, he goes into a, a bit more of a teaching. It's only 17 minutes long, and I'm not going to do that. But I did want to make some highlights real quickly before we finish the chapter. The Calvinist mindset is basically, this is confirming Calvin's systematic theology, which was horrible. But his idea is, is that before time began, he chose some for heaven and he chose some for hell. And that is God's will. And here, God chose Jacob He's going to heaven, and God, before they were born, before they even did anything on this earth, God already hated the guy and was already damning him to hell. And this is how Calvin viewed it. And this is, you know, confirming his point. Matter of fact, let me give you some Calvin quotes. In book three, chapter 23, individuals are born who are doomed from the womb to a certain death, and are to glorify him, God, by their destruction. So Esau needs to just go to hell and glorify God before he's yet born, having done good or evil. This is God's thinking. Calvin goes on to say in book 3, chapter 23, he says this, Therefore, those whom God passes over, he condemns. And this is he does not other, and this he does for no other reason than that he wills to exclude them from the inheritance which he predestines for his own children. Here's another quote. Many professing a desire to defend the deity and individual charge admitted 
the doctrine of election, but deny that anyone is reprobate. This they do ignorantly and childishly, since there could be no election without its opposite um, reprobation. So in his other quotes I've done before when I've talked about these things out of Ephesians 1, but the idea is, as he says, if you're a believer, you're one of God's elect, you need to glory in that. I'm special, I'm so special. I was chosen by God before time began. And if you have a problem with people being born into this world already damned to hell, then maybe you're not the elect after all. Because everybody who's the elect loves this doctrine. And we just look down our nose at those Esau's and Ishmael's and, and just, yeah, sorry, sucker. This glory, you going to hell equally glorifies God as me going to heaven. And I have no problem with it because God's God and that's what he says in the Bible. Well, God does not say that in the Bible. That would make God evil if God said that. And God is not evil. A matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 7, he commands, this is one of the commandments of God, the laws of God, you shall not abhor Edomites, that is the descendants of Esau, for he is your brother. Now, again, the term God loves Jacob and hates Esau Did he mean that literally, that he hates Esau? Remember, Jesus told us in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife, children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Did Jesus literally mean I need to hate my parents before I can go to heaven? I literally hate my wife? Is that what I need to do to be right with God? No, quite the opposite. The Bible tells us, honor your father and mother. The Bible says that we need to love one another as he's loved us. The Bible says we're not born of God if we don't love everyone. But again, in their mindset, they are loving that word hate. Now, let me tell you, that word, and I'm not going to go into details on it today, but the Hebrew word sane, S-A-N-E, is all the way through the Old Testament, And almost all modern translations translate it as less loved or unloved. Because the King James Bible translating that hated really doesn't give it the right sense. For example, we see it in Genesis 29, 31, where it says Leah, in the old King James, it says Leah, Jacob's second wife that he got by Laban, it says he hated her. It's the same word saying. Now, as we read Genesis, do we get the fact that Jacob hated Leah? No, we don't. Was she less loved? Yes, she was. In the same way, in Deuteronomy 21, 15, to stop polygamy, God gives a command and says, "All when a man dies... His wife that is hated or less loved, her kids is the protogenitor, her son. Her kids get everything. But the wife that's loved, her kids get nothing. Well, let me tell you, that would be pretty quick, wouldn't it? But again, it's the same word, sane. But when we look at it, it's not hated. It's, it's less loved. 
Now, another important point on, on this, going back to Romans chapter 9 there, the first quote is out of Genesis here. But then the second quote is from the book of Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, is where we get this quote out of. And it's talking about when Esau or the Edomites. Now understand, sometimes when it's talking about the whole tribe or the whole people group, it'll still call it Esau. Oh, there's Esau. But it's not talking about Esau because Esau has been dead for 1,500 years. When Malachi comes, Esau died 1,500 years earlier. But in Malachi, when he mentions the Edomites sometimes, sometimes he mentions Esau. He's not talking about it, the individual person. He's talking about the nation. And if you read Malachi 1, 2 through 4, if you read Obadiah, you'll see that he interchangeably uses the word Esau referring to the whole nation. And sometimes he'll say Edom referring to the whole nation. And God did, was angry at the Edomites, the tribe of Esau, 1,500 years after Esau died because they hated Israel. They were cursing Israel. They were actually, when the Malachites and the Babylonians were trying to capture them, they went out and stopped them and let the enemy kill them, rape them for trying to flee instead of submitting to them. And Obadiah, he says, God said, I'm going to wipe you out. You're no longer going to exist as a people. No matter what you try, is not going to succeed. That goes all the way back to Genesis 12, doesn't it? If you love God's people, God will bless you. If you curse the children of Abraham, what? You're going to be cursed. Even if you happen to be a child of Abraham. Now, understand what Romans chapter 9 is about. Paul is making this point. This is the final point in chapter 9. Remember in Romans 4, he said, everybody is a child of Abraham through faith of Abraham. And so in, in Romans 9, he's simply saying that the one that should be getting the blessing doesn't always get the blessing. As a matter of fact, often God gives the blessing to somebody other than you think he's going to give the blessing to. And who's he giving the blessing to now? to Gentiles, rather than to the Jews. And so this is what he's saying. Ishmael, Isaac, Jews, Gentiles. Um, Esau, Jacob, Jews, Gentiles. And so he's saying now the nation of Israel is becoming like an Esau because they are rejecting the Messiah. They are cursing the people of Israel. You mean the nation of Israel cursing the people of, of the children of Abraham? Yes, they are to this day. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 11, at this moment, the Jews are our enemies. But I'm not going to be their enemy, he says. But at this very moment in history, they are cursing the true children of Abraham. Who are the true children of Abraham? It's not a blood at this dispensation in time. 
tribulation period, it'll go back to the literal, physical nation of Israel. But right now, it's just those who have faith, the same faith as Abraham. And this is the point that he's making in those verses. And, uh, and so again, in Calvinism, they're trying to make it all about salvation. I do not believe <laughs> that Romans 9 is talking about salvation. It's talking about the service. I, I, when you, we looked at this in Ephesians 1, when we look at the, the issue of election, it's not about salvation. It's about service. So here's the truth of what I believe, what this is saying. And again, the Bible makes it clear. Everybody who believes is the elect of God. And that is what God predestined before time began. Before time began, Jesus said, everybody who believes in me will be my children. And all my children are my chosen ones, are the elect. The word elect chosen, the same word. And everybody who's my elect, I predestine a purpose, a service, good works that they would walk in. And in essence here, it is not saying, I hate Esau before he was born. I hate Esau the day he was born. I hated him till the day he died, and I hate him for all of eternity. That is not what God is saying. Matter of fact, he told Israel, don't ever mistreat Esau. He's your brother. He's a child of Abraham and Isaac as well. But God chose Jacob not to be saved, but to be of the lineage of the Messiah. And God has told us that he's going to do it. The zeal of the Lord, all the way up to a virgin giving birth to a baby, that God's hand would be on the scale of history to make that day come. It was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. So he simply said, I'm going to put my thumb here. Jacob is the guy the Messiah is going to come from. Well, Jacob had 12 kids from four different women. How holy and righteous is that? Well, I'm choosing Joseph. But was Joseph the lineage of the Messiah? No, Judah got snuck in there. The one that God chose, Joseph, to save Israel from Egypt or from the famine, taking them to Egypt, was not saying Joseph is righteous and everybody else is evil. It's simply saying for service, not salvation. See, Calvin, Calvinists, they got all of these verses so mixed up. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. That's it's John 15, where Jesus is talking to the 12 apostles. He's not saying that to Christianity. He was saying to the 12 apostles that are together, I chose you guys. Well, I remember that, Matthew. You didn't choose me. I came and got you. And now, then I appointed you to go out in twos and, and gave you guys power. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And that's going to continue after I'm gone. It wasn't some big Calvinistic insight on who's damned and saved before they're ever born. It's, it's ridiculous. It's not even about salvation. But that's, again, why it's so upsetting to me that they want to make God this horrific, wicked creature 
Everybody that I've elected is going to go to heaven whether they want to go or not. Everybody I elect to go to hell is going to go to hell uh, no matter what they do. It's just ridiculous, demonic doctrine. And it is totally the opposite of the nature of God. All that it says back here in Genesis 25 is that one's going to be stronger. (laughs) And that person who's going to be stronger is going to not be the older, the protogenitor, as you would think. It's going to be the younger. That's going to be the reality in time. Now, why this is interesting is because who comes out strong? Esau. Who's the big, strong guy, the big leader, the big hunter? It's Esau. Jacob's this mild guy with mom. But yet, Rebecca knows, man, one will be stronger than the other. That's true, but it's not the younger one. But in time, Jacob becomes not the stronger physically, not the stronger in godly character, to be honest with you, but he does become stronger in faith of the promises of God. And Esau, he's just not too interested in spiritual things whatsoever. Well, like I said, I got a whole teaching. I took notes uh, from his teaching. I have sent to your email. Just click on it and then look, listen to that YouTube. And Dr. Flowers has many other teachings as well that are just fantastic. But going back here in verse 24 here. So when her days were fulfilled, Rebecca came to the end of her pregnancy. She um, gave birth, and indeed there were twins in her womb, sure enough. And the first came out red, which is also the name Edom. Now, he was like a hairy garment all over. Freaky! Oh, my goodness. I've seen a lot of kids with a lot of hair born, and it's weird every time. It's weird. I mean, they, they're barely, they're not even a day old, and they've got a part down the middle, and it's... Uh, but this is not just on his head. It's like all over his body. Uh, the missing link right there. <laughs> and they called him Esau, Harry. <laughs> Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's hill. So his name was called Jacob, hill catcher, or it happens to be the same understanding of surplanter or a deceitful one. It had a two two things there. It's sort of like, oh, he's the hill catcher because he had a hold of his hill, but that word meant deceiver. It, it meant surplanter. Was not a very good name to name somebody. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. So the boys grew, and Esau, um, and, and a man, Excuse me, verse 27. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now let me tell you, this word mild, verse 27, appears 14 times in the Old Testament, and this is the only time it's translated mild. I think it should be translated the way it was translated talking about Job in... um, (laughs) <laughs> Where did my verses go? In Job 1.8, somewhere here, it calls him a blameless man, right? And I believe that's the word here. But it also can mean perfect. It can mean upright. 
But the idea of saying he was mild makes him sound like um, he's not very manly. Honey, let me have your verses there. I, I do not know what I did with mine. I, somehow, here, I'll trade you. Happy birthday. Um, Job 1.8, it says, You have considered my servant Job, and there's none like him in all the earth, blameless or perfect or upright. Uh, or the New, New Living, the NIV translates it, peaceful. I, I sort of like that. So he was this peaceful guy. He was an upright guy. What's that mean? I think compared to Esau. Esau, I think he's out in the neighborhood. They're living amongst the Canaanites and the Hittites. I think he's in town. I think he's meeting everybody. I think he's hanging out uh, on the corner with a bunch of Hittite boys whistling at the girls. And, and he, he was just a man of the world. And Jacob kept himself separate. He stayed at home. And he, he was around mom. That was his main thing. Now, the reason I say this is because today in this homosexual permeated society, when boys would rather cook or play the piano than go play football or baseball, immediately everybody starts thinking, oh my goodness, you must be a homosexual. Guys, that's just ridiculous. No. Um, Jacob was not a secret closeted homosexual because he liked to cook with mom. He was a man's man. He ended up having 12 sons. Now, however, I do think in parenting, when the kids are small, that dads, when they have a son that is mild-mannered, a peaceful nature, he doesn't want to wrestle. I had three boys and I had one son that every time I would try to wrestle, he'd just hug me. And he was musical. And, and he was just a very sweet person, still is. My other boys, I mean, ugh, they broke almost every window in the house. They had broken arms and legs, but, you know, it was. And so I, I understand. But again, I, I, even my son that was a mild manner, my other son sometimes would tease him about being a sissy or, or this or that. And, uh, boy, I would just come down on him ton of bricks. So I just say to dads, if you do have a child like that, go with it. Say, hey, let me listen to you play the piano. Hey, I'll take you to piano lessons. Or, hey, let's sit and listen to music. Or, hey, um, let's, let's watch a cooking show together. Dads can, can meet their child on that level. It doesn't have to be throwing a baseball. It doesn't have to be playing a football. It doesn't have to be sports. Because often, if the dad insists that they join and be like the rough-and-tumble brother, they are going to provoke bitterness into him. And I believe our society today will push him through the bitterness towards his dad into definitely contemplating homosexuality or believing that he was born homosexual. There's a lot more to it. I, I don't want to simplify it too much. But this is one of the things, and, and there's no sense whatsoever. We simply see in the scriptures that there are people 
that are like Esau, and we also see people like Jacob, and none of them are homosexuals. Um, it's just their nature. People have natures that are different like that. So Isaac loved Esau. Notice verse 28. He loved Esau because he ate of his game. Oh, I like getting meat. I like meat. And I get meat when Esau goes hunting. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Let me just say right here and, and now, horrible, horrible, horrible. Jesus said it in Matthew 12, 25, a house divided, what? Cannot stand. And that is just the fact. So parents, again, showing favoritism to your one child, that's failure on your part. You're going to breed frustration. You're going to breed um, an anger that will turn into bitterness. And when your kids say, oh, you like so-and-so better, pull down that stronghold in the name of Jesus. Absolutely not. That is a lie. We like to do this. We both have this in common. So here that I love them more or spend more time with them just because we're more than this. But baby, I do not love them more than I love you. That's ridiculous. And maybe you need to spend time doing something that the kid who feels less loved uh, would like to do, even if you don't like doing it, to make them understand that there is not preference going this way. In this house, they're completely divided. It even appears that Isaac lives separately uh, from Rebecca. Rebecca's in the house and Isaac's out in another uh, building uh, altogether, as we're going to see. Well, we're going to end there today. Lord, we come before you right now and we just ask in Jesus' name that we would stop and say, what kind of person are we? What kind of person do we want to be? And how we want to be men and women after your own heart who do all your will. And we ask this to search our hearts, O oh Lord. See if there be any waywardness, any wickedness, any shadow of turning in us. And lead us in your way. We thank you that we are all the elect of God because we believed in you. As many as believe in your name become children of God. They get chosen. The Father draws all of us by his spirit. The Father is drawing the whole world about their sin, righteousness, judgment, saying, come and be the elect of God. Come and be the chosen of God. And you'll see that I have predestined for you a life, good works that you should walk in. And in that place, nothing will harm you. No weapons formed against you will harm you. And all things that do come against you, I'll turn them around for good. I do that for all of my elect. I predestined for them a beautiful life of fruitfulness if they are willing to walk in it. So Lord, we want to come and just yield ourselves and say, Lord, here we are. We yield ourselves to walk in it. In Jesus' precious name.